welcome to a new episode of Supply Cast. Uh, my guest today, I suppose, is a typical example of needs no introduction to most people that are listening to this. Um, it's Duncan Eaton. Hi, Duncan. Hi, Bruce. Good to be with you. <laughs> Usually, I'd kind of run off a bit of a idea about what you're doing now, what you've done a little bit, but that would take up the entire podcast, such as your uh, breadth of experience right. in yep. procurement. So I might just suggest that you're essentially the Yoda of healthcare procurement and uh, I think I think that covers it all but having said that what are you currently doing Duncan? Uh, I'm, yeah I'm doing a range of things that mm. uh, I picked up and, and carried on for the most mm. of the time since I retired which is 14-15 years ago now after 40 years in the NHS and the Department of Health and I have a range of non-exec of advisory roles in the government sector the commercial sector I'm on two procurement boards uh, within the NHS I, until recently, I was a visiting professor at the University of Bath in the School of Management. And I, I chair a charity, Bladder Health UK, which keeps me in touch with users of the health service in a particular way. So a range of uh, things. And of course, a trustee, deputy chair of the Healthcare Supplies Association, of which I've been a member now for 50 years. I'm and, getting uh, on. I'm getting on, as you can tell. <laughs> and a very I, fine, a very fine man, to... I'm told. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still young enough to be president of the United States of America. So <laughs> I think Methuselah is still young enough to be president of the United States of America. Yeah, Before we go on, I've always been fascinated by people, by what the term visiting professor means. Um, I guess it would mean to me that um, you get uh, do you get your own room there if you're passing by and you've got nowhere to stay? <laughs> <laughs> or is it, is it more involved than that? No, it, it stemmed from a relationship that I had for several years with the University of Bath when I was chief executive of the NHS Purchasing Supply Agency. Oh, okay. We had research contracts with them and they ran training courses for the health service then and a variety of other things. So when I retired, I maintained a contact with Christine Harland, who then headed up the uh, uh, that part of the School of Management. And she invited me uh, to be a visiting professor. And it meant that I was used uh, occasionally uh, when... Uh, People in the faculty uh, wanted to know what was going on in the health service, a little bit of a teaching, a little bit of review of assignments. So it wasn't an onerous task, but I was pleased to do it because it, it did mean trips to Bath and that kept me in touch with the, the world generally of younger people, uh, which is always good. It keeps you young, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. <laughs> so something that was quite interesting was when I was talking about the fact that you're going to be the guest on Supplycast this, this week, uh, one of the things that came up was, was someone said to me, you must ask Duncan how he got into procurement as a career, because they commented on the fact that so many people that they talk to tend to say that um, they kind of got into procurement by accident, sort of fell into it rather than rather than by design. How did you come to find yourself in this business? Right, uh, without boring you too much with my career uh, history, mm. I started off in 1966 uh, as an admin trainee, as we were called mm. then, in fact, my first assignment, I was attached to a, a supplies organisation at Manchester Royal Infirmary. I, I started on a salary of £525 a year. Uh, so it was a long time, uh, <laughs> a long time ago. And then I, uh, from that, I went down to Swindon to be a deputy hospital secretary at the then Princess Margaret Hospital. And I was fairly young then, 
obviously, and I was told that I was too young to go up the ladder immediately on the management side mm. of things, and I should try a specialty. And at the time, supplies, as it was called, had reorganised, and it looked a good career to be in. So I thought, I'll go into that, and it looks worthwhile if I uh, stay in there fine. If not, I'll come out and do other things. In actual fact, I went into it in Wolverhampton, enjoyed it, uh, was lucky enough to get quite rapid uh, promotion. And it was a time when the supplies officer was a member of the top team of organisations. So it's a worthwhile career to be in. And I stayed in it for a long time a long time and my last straight supplies post within the NHS was Northwest Thames Regional Health Authority as Regional Supplies Officer and my boss then a chap called David Kenny to whom I a great deal decided I ought to have wider responsibilities and made me a director of operations covering a whole host of uh, activities and then a regional general manager who succeeded him Sir Alan Langlands who became chief executive of the NHS encouraged me thank to have a look at general management again and I became chief executive in Bedfordshire and stayed there for 10 years before I became chief executive of the Purchasing Supply Agency. So somewhat accidental but it was great because during my period in the NHS... I spent time in SIPs as president, chairman, active in the association. So I kept my hand in even when I was in general management with the procurement world. And I'm still there and a lot of people are still were there then are friends and connections uh, to, to this day. So it was lucky. It was a lucky move and it did well for me. So obviously in that period that you've worked within healthcare procurement, you would have seen a lot of changes. Have you seen cyclical changes in particular? They seem to come round again in, in, in your experience. They do. They do come round, albeit it's all the NHS is always different. So there are some uh, variations. I was lucky in my early days because, uh, as I said, procurement supplies was a top table activity. And that has been lost uh, to some degree. I hope uh, it may come back, but it has been uh, lost. And the other thing that I, I saw then uh, was that people were prepared to work together. There was a, an NHS structure, there's a supply structure within it, but whatever level you were at, whichever body, you worked and relied on other people. And that was lost uh, when, in fact, when the NHS started to break up, uh, when Thatcher and Kenneth Clark brought in the trust concept, uh, with the concept that trust should compete for business, should compete for patients, and that would develop efficiencies. Not sure it did, and we again, the NHS, if we're moving back to a, a structure that uh, that we had then. Uh, and so then during that time, I saw procurement competing. So trusts were competing. So procurement was competing to get the price, better prices than the other trusts. So we lost a lot during that. And we may talk about the uh, the future because again, I'm glad that competition has been, or is being done away with. And procurement supplies organisation is already benefiting or continue to benefit uh, from that. So I'm hoping now that we are going to go back to national leadership, national ownership, some national management of procurement, but a regional tier along the ICS type mm -hmm. uh, development, uh, integrated care systems. So it is cyclical, but I, I think also the value of procurement and supplies was lost for a whole period. And we could, uh, we could talk a lot about why that happened and the benefits or not that we got from the outsourcing, say, of my, my last organisation, PASA. 
but so I've seen it come and go. The other thing I saw during my early days was a big investment in training and development of procurement. Regions had residential schemes that ran supplies courses. National level had courses up at the White Hart at Harrogate. I tried to replicate a little bit of that when we uh, joined the Passer days, but then that was lost. And we've had little procurement development training, apart from what HCSA does and will mm-hmm. do more of and grow. But we don't have enough of that. And I think there are signs at national level that that's recognised, and we're going to see some of that come back. So some examples, Bruce, of where I've seen things come go the differences i'm hoping some of the better parts from the past will now emerge again okay you said um at the beginning of the and you, you said it a couple of times already actually about how the procurement heads of procurement being to some degree taken away from the senior management level um over years why do you think that was why do you why do you feel that that ebbed away as you've mentioned a couple yeah, of times already? Uh, i think as trust developed as management uh within trust became separate it was regarded as a function there but at the same time as that was happening, we had a new national organisation, uh, the NHS Supplies Authority, uh, the body that I, the passer, emerged from. They did a great, a great deal, but that centralised procurement, it took procurement away from trusts into a central organisation. So it then wasn't visible within the straight management structure. And I, I think that was one of the main causes of procurement not being recognised mm-hmm. in all cases at uh, the local level. I think, again, that's coming back. And you mentioned COVID. I think COVID has brought procurement out and made that recognisable, valued within the NHS in a way mm-hmm. that perhaps it wasn't in a lot of cases before. OK, and we will obviously, in a, in a little bit, come on to, to COVID in detail because it's obviously an ex- inescapable major event that's happened in procurement. Just wondering, you, so obviously you went into procurement, you were set on the path for your career in procurement from the word go, essentially. Uh, any ideas about what you m- may have done if you hadn't gone into procurement? Uh, I, I think I would have gone into, uh, stayed in hospital administration. Right. Uh, so I would have uh, hopefully gone up through that, mm. uh, that line. I clearly came back to that when I was health authority chief executive for 10, mm-hmm. uh, for 10 years. So I think I would have spent the time then and it's possible I might have gone abroad I've I made one or two uh, offers and I think if I'd stayed in administration I might have gone abroad and spent some time which I didn't do but I would have stayed within the National Health Service I've no reason to okay. suppose I wouldn't again you have offers when you're in the public sector to go into the private sector mm. I never wanted to do that not that time I get to the private sector but I was very happy that I had a worthwhile career in the public sector do you feel it was a vocational thing for you? I suppose it was a vocation, but I, you, know, you can be a bit trite when you say, I, I came yeah, sure, to do, sure. yeah. do good. I, you know, I never yeah. thought of it like yeah. that. I hope I was doing a good mm. uh, a good job. But I came into hospital administration because I worked my uh, university holidays as a nursing assistant in a psychiatric hospital. Okay. That showed me what life was like in hospitals, including the social mm. life. And mm-hmm. as a youngish chap, then that was attractive. Mm. <laughs> Uh, Tell us more. (laughs) You've opened the door, Duncan. I'm going to steam through it. No, 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 no. (laughs) 
<laughs> what was the? Was it like one of those? I've seen lots of. Was it like um? What was the uh, the, the film with Dirk Bogard where he played the the young doctor? Was it like and Leslie Phillips? I'm now imagining you in a film with Dirk Bogard and Leslie Phillips as a young as a young doctor enjoying yeah. the social side of it. Yeah, <laughs> I shan't I shan't pull at that thread. No, okay, <laughs> I won't tell you anyway. <laughs> That's fair enough. What what happens in the young healthcare professional's social life stays in the it young does. healthcare yes. professional <laughs> social life. That's great. So you know, every time when I do one of these 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 podcasts, you know, um, I always have this kind of rarefied idea about trying to make sure that while you have to talk about COVID, um, that it doesn't become dominated by by COVID. Yeah. Having said that, it is an absolute inevitability uh, talking about COVID, and and I think also in particular with with you, Duncan. It's, it's important because I think it's a good opportunity to talk about how, you know, the obvious first question, but that will then lead into what the hopes are of what would what will come, what positivities can come from it. But the initial question, of course, is I'm assuming you've never seen anything like this. I mean, that's a question that kind of answers itself, doesn't it? It's a bit of a... Yes, it does. Yeah. It's a bit of an affaire complete that, that the answer to that question is no, I've never seen anything like it. So I'm just wondering whether, did you ever p- perceive this? I mean, we know that, I guess, you know, with procurement, you you plan, there's certain things that are planned for because you know it's going to be, it's going to be busier, like the, the, the winter flu season, etc. Can you think of, was there anything that was, even if just in its smallest way, even in the smallest way, as it would surely be, similar in any way to, to what we've seen in 2020 with COVID? Right, when I was the uh, passive chief executive, uh, one of the things that we got involved in and did was planning for something like this. Nothing on this on this oh. scale. It was prompted initially uh, by the Twin Towers and okay. the NHS reviewing whether it would have the capacity to deal with mass casualties. And so a planning system was set up at which PASA was involved to look at what we needed to stock, where we needed to stock it, if suddenly we had a had mass casualties. That was built on uh, in preparation, and I can't remember, I think it was two, 2003, 2004, uh, by the threat then of the flu pandemic, uh, which never happened in the way. But I sat in meetings, which in fact scared you to death when you, you heard the public health planners talk about how many people might die, how many body bags might you, might you need. Very sobering. Mm. And a lot of work went on uh, to prepare for that and warehouses uh, were set up. So th- there was some thought, but I don't think anybody then planned for the numbers that COVID uh, produced. And in fact, some of those stocks that were set up then, uh, which were initially managed by the NHS Logistics Authority and one or two private companies, uh, were used during the early days of the COVID. Uh, they went into uh-huh. the outsource logistic mm-hmm. uh, operation. I'm not visible as to what happened and how mm-hmm. and how they'd be managed. Uh, because the idea when they were set up was the all the medical stuff uh, which would be time limited would be replaced put into normal use and then topped up I I, I don't know how that played out uh, when Covid uh, hit so there was some awareness and planning but as always when you talk to these things that might happen it's well how much money do you spend on it just yeah just, just in case and if mm. it's never needed then you criticize like the Nightingale mm. 
hospitals wrongly they criticise because they haven't been needed. They still be, of course. Uh, yes. I hear Manchester's opening, uh, planning to open mm-hmm. uh, again to some degree. So a lot of money could be spent on preparing for just a, uh, just in case. So there's always a financial restraint, I would suggest. So as um, the, uh, I guess we should call it the first wave, the initial wave, as it was unfolding, what was going through your head as someone that is so experienced and has been involved in the, you know, in procurement for such a long time. Um, as it was unfolding, what was what was your take on it? I, mean, I guess yeah, I saw, particularly heard uh, from the procurement world, uh, the trust procurement people who were at the front end of this, how busy they were, how stressed uh, they were, a lot of anger uh, about the truth of which I don't know what was right or or mm. not about the national level, how they were doing, how they were doing things, what they couldn't get people trying trying to buy directly so the pressure that was on those people I don't think I'd ever experienced in my career and thankfully they've come out of that and learnt a lot I've just been uh, judging the HCSA award one of which is Hidden Heroes I think it's called Unsung Heroes sorry Unsung Heroes Unsung Heroes Mm -hmm. thank you and almost all those entries are people within procurement who emerge stood up change roles and did a tremendous job in keeping the show on the road at different levels and great admiration for them for them mainly younger people I'm sure they've learned a lot and they'll yeah. look back and say that was good experience mm. I'm sure they didn't think that that it's like when your boss gives you a lousy job and says it'd be a good experience yeah <laughs> but tremendous how the procurement world emerged and stood up mm. and how it came together and that's one of the things I mentioned before about procurement needs to work together. And we saw trusts, both acute community, coming together, sharing in a way that hadn't happened before. And lessons from that are good now and will be uh, valuable as procurement reorganises and does things different mm-hmm. and does things differently. Uh, of course, um, the awards are, the um, HCSA awards are 18th of November. So it'll be interesting to see who out of those unsung heroes obviously they should be incredibly proud of themselves all the finalists and, to see what, what happens then and difficult to judge yeah I mean I can't all of a very very high uh, high quality uh, so uh, I found it difficult to differentiate mm. differentiate them so uh, one from another but so much stuff in there that mm. uh, I think will be valuable to learn from in the future so as we're looking at the future what are you hoping I mean you've spoken a little bit there about how um, you know post-COVID you will have you know a, a lot of young younger procurement professionals who have had you know a very difficult but also invaluable experience yeah. that will serve them what changes would you like to see um, on say like an you know a national level I mean is is it, it might be bringing um, manufa- PPE manufacturing back to the UK in a more significant capacity, or or what would you what would what would you like to see happen? Right. Well, on the COVID side, mm. follow up from that. We've learned a lot, I think, about mm. supply chain resilience, where things come uh, come from. We've had one or two examples of that before, but we were really hit. I've always been a great believer in that public money, which is the health service, should be spent to benefit the uh, the UK 
economy. Yep. Air competition, following the rules, etc. Yep. But where possible, uh, we needed to uh, we need to manufacture and supply in this country, and we've lost a lot of that. I think COVID's shown us the dangers of that. Not to bring everything back, but some of the work mm-hmm. I see, I think I read something up in Manchester, something in Scotland, that are working with local companies to manufacture gowns or uh, another yep. other thing. I'd like to see more. I'd like to see more of that, even if it costs more. Then we need to look at the re- uh, reliability of the site supply chain and its resilience, and hopefully that message won't be forgotten. On a wider basis, on the structure of procurement, and there are reviews and the talk going on, I don't think we need a major reorganisation. That would be a mistake. I think we need to change aspects of it. We need a national level, but we don't need over-centralisation. And uh, you can hear politicians and one or two other senior people around who thinks the NHS supplies everything can be bought nationally completely wrong there are some things that are best bought uh, nationally but we need national leadership we need a national framework uh, to work within and we need visible leadership I think it's a bit confused at the moment. There are people operating nationally, and that's not uh, criticising whatever job job they're doing. But I think the NHS is confused. Who is the procurement leader? And those people working within it, I think, recognise and want to have somebody they could look, look to nationally and respect and say, yeah, there's a career here and I want to work within that. So more uh, visibility and not just a consultation, communication, not just meeting council etc they have a value but leader or leaders who are out and about seen within the NHS talking to the people within the NHS and I know that would go down very well and be very valuable. Uh, The other change I would like to see uh, which I've hinted at is that the level below the national level if I can call it sub-national regional and I'm delighted that that's been recognised now in the recent plan that's come out from NHS England in improvement uh, to build procurement at a lower level than national around the ICS development. So the NHS is changing, real opportunity there for procurement uh, to come together. doesn't necessarily need a structural change, but an environment, uh, boundaries within which procurement uh, c- uh, can work and cooperate. Again, bring back what happened in COVID, show it, show it can happen. And that will create more opportunities, more jobs, more job rotation, and hopefully more senior jobs for people in procurement. But then what we mustn't forget is the trust level. I've heard some nonsense over the last few years. Don't think so recently, I'm glad to say, that if we centralise, regionalise, we don't need supply management at trust level. As I say, that is unacceptable uh, to me. You need supply expertise at trust level or trust to have be able to share someone between two or three trusts. People who can relate to the users, know what uh, their trust needs, uh, can implement change. Again, I've seen it's all right somebody national level changing the type of product that's more, say, a syringe and needle. And I got the scars uh, still from when I changed syringe and needles, thinking that would be very simple realise syringes and needles are different manufacturers and uh, and you need a lot of training just on that simple area. So you need people uh, who are in there able to manage that kind of change, there'll be other changes, and make use of all the information that's around now, the information, the intelligence. Uh, and that is something that's so different from when I was out there mm-hmm. 
they're working at the operational level. The amount of information, the systems, it's there, the scan for safety program. Others have followed uh, that, identifying what you're buying, who's using it, on what patient uh, is so, so valuable. So I hope there's going to be investment in that. I declare an interest in that one of the things I do is I chair the GS1, the barcoding identification body, uh, standards body. I chair their healthcare advisory board. So that's why I'm passionate about it. Mm -hmm. But also I know a bit about it. So people at the local level that can manage that kind of program, get it operating uh, with the information they've got. Right? Those are some of the things that I think will be so different. And we're going to see a much more worthwhile health service procurement profession than perhaps we've had for some for some time. Um, I just wanted to touch back on, um, I thought it was quite interesting to me, um, you, you touched on the awards because of the uns, Unsung Heroes um, category. And uh, I know, obviously, obviously you, won, you, you got the President's Award last year. I did, I did. What, what was that like? It was, well, I say, how, did that, how did that rank in your, your decades of experience? Oh, uh, very high. Yeah. Uh, 50 years I've been in. They gave me a Lifetime Achievement Award probably 10, 15 years ago, and I think they were hoping they'd get rid of me there, but they didn't. So, so yeah. I think they gave me the presence of having another go say, we've had enough. <laughs> I'm joking. It, it was a great, a great surprise. Uh, very emotional to me, and without personalising it too much, about six months before I'd been through cancer and emerged successfully mm -hmm. from that and learnt more about what happens in hospitals than I ever did during my 40 years career, just sitting in a bed while they did horrible things uh, to me. Right. But uh, I, Harrogate, which is where it's presented, was my first venture into the real world for about seven or eight or eight months. Um, wow. So that was a trial in itself to get up to mm. Harrogate. And uh, so to receive that award, it was emotional mm. for me. And the reception I got from my uh, uh, colleagues there on the night, it really affected me. And I am so grateful uh, for those that decided. Philip Hunt, the president, of course, he was my minister during most of my passer wow. days. So I reported to him and he was always very, very helpful, particularly on educational training programme. And so it's great to ha have him back in the association. But uh, And it's good when you've been around a long time, the links are there. And I go to the HCSA conference and there are people there who've worked for me over the years. I think I've tried to help. I'm very much a people person that believes in training and development. And it's great catching up uh, with them. Get a lot of hugs and kisses. Can't do that now, but... Uh... <laughs> no, no, what were the hugs and kisses? What are they? <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. I saw on TV once, I think. Yeah, so it was a long uh, uh, ramble there to that question, but it no, meant it, mental. That, that, that was that, that was really really nice to hear. Um, you you mentioned obviously the, the conference. We got the conference coming up, seventeenth and eighteenth. Um, I've you know I, I as someone who's been involved, I mean, I've been involved with technology, you know, writing about it, reporting on it, various bits and bobs. You know, most of my career and. And uh, I've been incredibly impressed with what a virtual conference means in 2020. And uh, it's, you know, because you, I think it's, you've got to really see it to appreciate, you know, just how, 
how brilliantly it works, really. So with the conference coming up on 17th and 18th of November, um, I know that they've got a fantastic um, uh, agenda lined up for, for both days and, you know, great speakers, etc. What would you make of it all, Duncan, as the as the as our Yoda of the human? What what do you make of these what we're seeing at the moment, these virtual conferences which have come in? It seems to me that they might be here to stay in some capacity at least. It's a, it's, a, it's a strange time, but um, are you looking forward to it, the virtual conference? Yes, I am. I, I've done a couple uh, mm. in different ways. So mm. I've seen how, how it can work and I'm sure mm. I'll develop and improve it. As you say, mm. uh, it is impressive. Mm. I think to some degree they will be here uh, to stay, uh, mm. even when COVID's uh, over. Doing things differently will be, will be there. And one of the benefits I see is... Uh, as you say, there's some very, very good speakers. Mm. Uh, it's an impressive programme, I think. Mm. Uh, mm. Probably one of the best th that we've had for some some time. So to hear from those people will be great. And because it's virtual, it can then be shared with more yeah. with more people. So whoever can't watch it on a day or doesn't want to watch it all can go back. So I think there's a mm. lot of learning opportunities going to come from this year's conference. So looking uh, looking forward to it. Yeah. And obviously it's a very crucial year. So it's a crucial conference in a very crucial year for procurement, obviously. Okay, that's it's been really good. We've gone through a lot of the, the, the stuff that, I've, that I really wanted to touch on and I think it's important to get your take on. Just before we ease our way into the slightly more lighthearted stuff, perhaps what you, what you like to do to unwind and our, our two killer questions at the end. I just, I feel it would be remiss if I didn't ask you, Duncan, if there was anything that you perhaps were hoping to touch on that we have haven't yet covered those areas. I think we've covered it. And I, I, I did some preparation and did some uh, uh, did some notes. I think the only thing we uh, I would add mm. is that uh, the opportunities HCSA has got uh, mm. has got now. Been there a long time. It's always been there to represent the profession. It's always been there providing opportunities to talk and meet and share and learning opportunities which, which have continued. But I, I think now as we're looking to do things differently, you know, the plan we've got for online visual learning so it can be shared uh, amongst uh, a bigger audience so I think I'm looking forward to the HCSA really uh, embracing the new agenda mm -hmm. and looking to uh, provide more for the people out there and I meet them at courses I read their entries in for awards some very very good people out there that hopefully will have opportunities to emerge to get uh, to get promotion and I think HCSA can play a major part in that that's great no, I think apart from that, that's I've just had some notes with big writing here, yeah. <laughs> which I, I bounced around uh, just to give me thoughts when we did talk mm -hmm. that I wouldn't yeah. uh, waste too much time for you. So. Well, you certainly haven't done that, Duncan. I'm, 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 I've got no doubt that people are happy to listen to you ramble on for hours. I think it's a nice time to move on to. How does Duncan eat in? How does he unwind? What does right. he, what's okay. he like to do on the, on the weekend or, uh, I don't know, okay. afternoon or whatever? I've always been a big Manchester United supporter. For years, I was a season ticket holder, but gradually mm. stopped going because I live in Warwick, so it was too far mm -hmm. sometimes to go. And certainly during the last few years, it wasn't worth going for the most. <laughs> but I, I still follow it and still get angry and uh, switch off the television 
<laughs> so that, that's in the background, but not, not as enthusiastic as I used, used yeah. to be. Great theatre goer. In fact, in, in times gone by, I, I used to act. I used to uh, do amateur uh, dramatics, very keen on that. But I love going to the theatre mm -hmm. now. And of course, that's uh, not happening. Living no, it's, it's sad, isn't it? What's happened theatre and cinemas? It's, I must admit, it's something I feel quite emotional about. I, don't, yeah, sure. know, I think it's a shame. Yeah, living down the road from, from Stratford, of course, we've got the opportunity mm. not that I'm into the heavy Shakespeare but I like the funny uh, the comedies yeah did you have a favourite Amdram role you mentioned your your Amdram oh, days I'm not a singer but I played Colonel Pickering in My Fair Lady oh really at Northampton the Donegate Theatre in Northampton uh, oh brilliant yeah so so enjoyed uh, enjoyed that so I think that's probably the favourite mm. the favourite one other things I do watch uh, television probably too much but enjoy uh, enjoy that never been a big walker but since I was ill I've had to exercise more mm -hmm. so I get out and about I live next door to Warwick Racecourse so walk around uh, Warwick Racecourse and Warwick frequently so that takes up some time and we enjoy eating out mm -hmm. it has come back onto the agenda since yeah. now so yeah. we're doing uh, doing that uh, but nothing uh, I don't think there's anything particularly significant or exciting yeah. in personal uh, <laughs> it's interesting how um, a lot yeah. of those things it's actually it brings home to you a little bit talking about things you like to do to unwind uh, brings home to you how many things again have been affected by covid doesn't it yes it does about things you like doing to finish off the podcast i'd like to ask two 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 questions i'm wondering now whether one of the answers is going to be the soundtrack to my fair lady but no, the first <laughs> so, so the first <laughs> so the first question the first question that we'd like to ask right at the end is if you're only allowed to have one album or song that you could listen to for the rest of your life um what would it be please please me by the Beatles. okay i You're saw the very, very sure about that duncan yes i saw yeah. the Beatles live uh, fantastic when i was when i was 17 went to a dance at the pavilion gardens in buxton with my then uh, girlfriend mm -hmm. she had a car so she were able to go there she drove me uh, mm -hmm. there so uh, but the Beatles live out their head didn't hear much because you were stood and you could see their heads yeah. up and down of the line of belief but that was a great great evening and it's a great LP and most of the songs on there were ones that I heard that night it may be followed by Best of the Beach Boys but uh, I think the Beatles get to it oh brilliant what a great great memory to be able to take take with you with I know, one I know. song and if you could only watch if there's only one film you could watch for the rest of your life what would that what one film would you pick that you could that you'd be able to revisit I think The Great Escape uh, it's a cliche obviously but I do like escapism mm -hmm. uh, and I do like the war war type films but I think that's a brilliant film and uh, it's one I could watch time and time again I think The Great Escape well I, I'm going to let you have your great escape from this podcast now that's alright Bruce it's been uh, fantastic talking to you it really has yeah. been it's, it's been very interesting it's also been you know quite educational about things and it's uh, you know, particularly with me as a as an outsider that's coming into the industry at the time of, of Covid it's, it's interesting in particular to hear about um, you know where we think we can go from Covid and what's going to be learnt from it and any similarities or which the answer is invariably no so thank you very much for your yeah. time Duncan I enjoyed it Bruce thanks uh, thank you very much thank you kindly I enjoyed that thank you. you you're very welcome Duncan okay so that's that for this episode of the uh, class and make sure you join the next episode <laughs>